This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. I'm Megan Gilmore, and welcome back to Connecting Disability on AMI Audio. I'm really excited that you stopped by today. We are recording this in the middle of December, which means that we are being flooded with holiday movies of various levels of quality. And in honor of that, we wanted to give you a bit of our own holiday fun story about how two people found love with their disabilities during the pandemic. I know! So grab a friend, grab a hot beverage, and gather around for this one. Michelle Hewitt is a disability rights advocate in British Columbia and the national co-chair of Disability Without Poverty, an organization dedicated to lifting people with disabilities out of poverty in Canada. Victor Enns is a writer and poet who spent most of his life in Manitoba. And this is our story about what happened after they met last January. Victor and Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having us. Be here. We are recording this in December, which means that we are right in the middle of Christmas holiday themed movies, several of which have a romantic plot. So that's why we have the two of you on. And just to get the audience, give, give them a feel for the two of you. I was curious if the two of you were going to make a holiday themed movie about your romance, what would the title and the plot synopsis be? Michelle, do you have any thoughts on this? I know Vic- Victor's a poet, so I feel like he has a bit of an advantage. I have to say we cheated and we talked about this. And there's already a movie out there that's very much the theme for us because it's four weddings and a funeral because we have both been married four times now and there's only funerals happening after this. Oh, that doesn't sound very cheerful, but yeah, <laughs> that's very much us. And when you so say you've been married four times, that means collectively uh, combined. No, four times <laughs> No, yes, we we were both married three times before we married this August. Wow. Yes, we have eight marriages between us, actually, if we count this one. I might call it lucky man. Is, okay. uh, is is one one thing or love and surgery those are both book titles so yeah i have an advantage yeah, they're okay both his book titles that is an advantage i'd also <laughs> go with you got mail because that was very much a theme of our early months together because we met online so we exchanged many many long emails and we talked on facetime for hours upon hours before we ever were able to get together physically because victor was in manitoba and i'm in bc we had hours upon hours of contact it's got mail four weddings and a funeral the titles of two of his books which seems to be a a shameless plug to me (laughs) uh, there we are (laughs) listeners are going to want to know then how did the two of you meet how did you connect well, I started out wondering what to do. I had been single. I was disabled. My amputation was in 2018. A couple of things about that. One of them was whatever invisible disabilities I had, and I did have them, the amputation really 
identified the fact that I was a disabled person in a way none of the other things ever had. So that was a major change. And what happened, for example, when I did use the internet to uh, meet someone and we did actually physically go out, it was okay as long as we were not in public. But uh, I realized there was a problem when we went out and she crossed the street rather than be seen <laughs> walking next to me, right? I was using a walker and struggling and she just couldn't cope with it. And I says, well, this isn't going to work. At that point, I decided I should start looking on disabled dating sites, which I did do. And there, there was a lot more um, freedom, really, to be who I was or for people generally to be open about their disabilities. So that was how it started. Michelle has her own story as to how that worked for her. Yeah, so I'd been a widow for two years and it was the start of the year, uh, this year. I was bored. I didn't think I'd ever be in a relationship again and wasn't even particularly looking. So I, I went on this this uh, disability dating site just to, you know, see if there were some people I could chat to just online. I'm immune compromised. I'm only out of bed for seven or eight hours a day. I certainly didn't think there was somebody who would be able to fit into my life pattern without having expectations that I was going to leave the house often or be awake more than I am or all of those sorts of things. And so I just put a very slim profile up there and a photograph and this guy sent me a message saying I like your hair and I thought oh, okay whatever and uh, I replied to him and here we are 11 months later married so you got married at the end of August correct we did and when did you first connect on that dating site 11th of January wow so from January to August that's a pretty quick courtship. This is uh, something that people mention sometimes. And the thing is, I'm 66 and I have severe osteo and other disabilities. And Michelle, she's a young thing. She's only 54, but has MS. So why would we waste time if we're pretty sure? Because any time that we wait trying to pick the right time to do the next step is time that we take away from a loving married relationship, which we have now as you were starting to get to know each other, when did you realize this is somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with? The first week we exchanged a lot of really long messages. It was clear that, that we had a lot in common. We both have a love of music. We're both people who've been involved with the art. We just had a lot to share and, and even, you know, our disabilities and that we both had careers that had been interrupted by disability and, and those sorts of things. We chatted, as I say, we got to know each other by, in, by email pretty quickly and we'd said that we'd, a couple of weeks that we, for the first time we FaceTimed each other and I think it was about four days and then we just started <laughs> to talk and it just grew from there. Of course, there was this pandemic thing going on at the same time and you know he was in Manitoba I was in BC so we couldn't physically get together even if we wanted to so that kind of forced us to keep 
digging and going deeper in the conversation, it, it became clear pretty quickly that we were becoming a big part of each other's lives. During the day, the numbers of times that we were in contact with each other, and Victor has a spectacular way of remembering very little, and therefore he just used me as, as his, as he said, his external memory drive very quickly. What was I going to do? Where's this? We just became such thoughts to each other so quickly. It wasn't until April, which, you know, I say only three months later that we were able to physically get together. And that was going to be the real test. Victor came for two weeks and we extended his ticket to four weeks. And the only reason he went home was because he was running out of medication and he had to go home to get his prescriptions filled and then start to pack. So it was really the the trip in April was the icing on the cake that proved that that what we thought we had, that what we were pretty sure that was from this sort of being in each other's lives fairly constantly during the day was actually genuine. I had been double vaxxed by the 12th of April, which was when uh, I, I went to Kelowna for the first time. Yeah, by the 1st of April. Yes, actually. See, there we go. You're acting yeah. as his external memory even now. This is great. This yes, is great. that's correct. Victor, you mentioned earlier that in some of your past dating relationship, when you met with a woman, uh, she might show some hesitancy about your amputation and being with you in that. How was that with Michelle? And how did you respond to her disability and its needs when you were now in person? Well, I think one of the reasons we got along is neither of us really concentrated on our disabilities. We acted like any other couple that might be that was falling in love. The disability portion was there, sure. But it wasn't anything that seemed to get in the way in our conversations. In other words, it was fairly easy to accept each other. Part of that had to do because we had such similar interests in reading and and writing and advocacy, which is something that I had done in the arts and politically early on in my life. Because of our shared interests, the disabilities ended up not being a big part of the initial discussions, although they were there. They just didn't take up a lot of time or space. The thing about that is that when we did spend that month together, it was lovely to find out that we had uh, disabilities that were mutually, I don't want to say complementary, but I just said it. But I mean, (laughs) thing is, we understood each other when we were tired, when we needed to rest. There were no questions. She was as concerned about how I would respond to her Bernese mountain dogs as I would to her disability, I think. We did have the conversation with each other before we met as to what were lines in the sand for each of us when it came to a relationship. What was going to be that thing that would be a hard no for us that the relationship wasn't going to work? For Victor, it's that he needs time to write every day. For me, it was he had to be kind to my dog. So as you can see, the disability had nothing to do with what we would consider our lines in our sand for each other. We can say that because they were similar enough that we understood what the situation was with each of us. The really important part of that was that we believed each other. Credibility is really important when you're dealing with disabilities. There are some people that won't believe you no matter what. It's really nice to be in a relationship where there's certain things you can take for granted, that we were able to 
understand each other's disability without needing to be convinced or without having a competition. Is something else that happened? For both of us, our main disabilities are invisible. Victor said he's an amputee and I'm a full-time power wheelchair user. Victor's main disabling feature in his everyday life is severe pain and mine is severe fatigue. We both understand that business of having something that nobody else can see and that people don't necessarily believe. I mean, I have pain as a factor in my life, but not to the extent Victor does. And he has fatigue, but not to the extent that I do. So we have an understanding of each other's invisible disabilities. And as Victor said, when it comes to credibility, it's so important because there's so many times when I'd say to you know people, actually, you know, I have severe fatigue. Oh yeah, I get tired sometimes as well. Yeah, you got no idea. And same for Victor. You know, I, I have this pain and you know, this that he basically, you know, has no cartilage in his in his shoulders and you know, and at all. And people like, Yeah, yeah, I've had some arthritis as well. It's like, no, yeah. no, you know. So the fact that we each understand that even though it's not a competition, it's not my pain's bigger than your pain or anything like that, but yeah. we, we stand where each person's coming from. And yesterday I had a, a day that was incredibly busy for me. You know, I had a meeting at nine and a meeting at noon. And he knew that in between those two times, I needed to either be asleep or just zoned out. And that's a huge relief. Michelle, you touched on something that I wanted to ask you about specifically, because I know you have limited hours in the day where you do your work. So I'm just curious, how did that play into even like planning like dates or fun things to do together? So at the start, of course, we were also at a two hour time difference between here, you know, here in BC and Manitoba. So we planned that we spoke every night, six o'clock here, eight o'clock there. Halfway through that time, Victor would take his final meds for the day, and by nine o'clock his time, he he was done. He was pretty much asleep. For me, six o'clock, because I'd get out of bed at five o'clock, having been in bed all afternoon. Right from the start, from our very first conversation, we already had a routine of how each other's day went and what we needed to do. Again, it was just something that was just naturally part of this is what we do. This is who we are. But we still had dinner dates. Even when we were at a distance, we would, our first one was on Valentine's because, you know, it was just a month after we'd met and we decided that we were going to have chili. So we both had chili in our separate places and we both set the table and sat down and ate dinner together. One of us put music on and all of that sort of thing. And we both got dressed up and, you know, and that became a part of what we did every so often, rather than just having these conversations, we had dinner dates with each other. The thing that was different for me uh, physically in arriving here was driving a handicapped van. It wasn't uh, all that different from any vans that I'd been driving. And because of my own disabilities, I have a preference for vans because they're more comfortable for the disabilities uh, uh, that I have. But it meant that when we went out that Michelle's powered wheelchair needed to go up the ramp into the van. She needed to have the secure uh, fastenings passing so that we could travel safely and so on. All of that takes more time. So you build time in, but you also are really thinking hard about what's more important this week. 
going to your medical appointments or going out and having fun. And sometimes that's really annoying because it would be nice not to have to think that way. On the other hand, that's one of the things that COVID has been helpful for. It has limited the kind of opportunities that are out there for us anyway. In terms of dating, we literally had our first actual where we said we're going on a date right now after we got married because of COVID (laughs) and everything. So we decided that we were going to have a morning when we went to a bookstore together, you know, because of a shared love of reading, and then went to a really good coffee shop in Kelowna called Bliss Bakery. And that didn't happen until, I don't know, October. And we don't have a huge number of hours in the day to go out and do things, either of us. So it's also a relief to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't expect you to go out all the time because that's a pressure. One of our favorite activities is around meal times and bedtimes where we are beside each other. Both have recliners because of our uh, uh, disabilities and we have a bef- uh, before dinner drink which is non-alcoholic of course with the amount of meds that we take. But we sat and we listened to music. I did bring my stereo from Manitoba and my records. And so we listened to music, have a drink and have a conversation before our meals. We are lucky. Michelle has been good at being able to arrange care for us so that we can reimburse people to come and make supper for us, for example. We sit, we have our conversation, and then we go to the table and and have our dinner. So we always make time for each other for something important. And that is conversation. You've talked about your dating and obviously you're married. So everybody's going to want to know, obviously, what's your proposal story? <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it was pretty low key. <laughs> low key? Are uh, you making say, a phone yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it uh, focused on something where... Uh, there was an object uh, with a key on it, and uh, you have the key to my heart. And uh, it wasn't a traditional exchange of engagement rings after the number of weddings that we had been through. Some things obviously are going to are are going to be different. The thing really was that the four weeks were sort of the test, and they had been two weeks. So we both knew. For example, that if I extended my trip, that things were going really well. And there were a number of things that I needed to know because it was going to be such a major uh, life change or, or at least it was a big move. I haven't moved this far in a very in a very long time. So I had to be confident of that decision. So the proposal happened almost naturally, organically, but between the two of us, we needed to confirm our feelings for each other during the four weeks that we spent together. And uh, we were able to do that. Victor is a traditionalist. And so even if we had already talked about that, sure, you know, he was going to move here and this is what was going to happen, that he wanted to be the person who proposed to me. So I knew it was coming. But basically, one morning, he just rolled over in bed and pulled out this lovely keychain that we are, have yet to be getting um, getting grave and asked me if I would marry him. And of course, I said yes. I think there's something else in there, though, that I said to Victor, one of the things going slightly at a tangent here. So he mentioned that 
we purposely have conversations and we purposely take time each night before we go to sleep to reflect on the things that have happened in the day and say what we appreciate about what's gone by. And it may be things that we've done for each other, or it may be things that other people have, you know, that we've been involved with and so on. And it's really struck me as we've been getting closer to Christmas and, you know, holidays are so involved with rituals and all sorts of things that I'm so proud that this 66-year-old man with complex disabilities that require medical professionals that trust him, <laughs> believe in him, that he took this massive plunge to move. Um, you know, as I keep joking that he's this flatland farm boy that moves to the mountains that have roads that have hills and curves in them. But he, the fact that he picked up his life and he came here and I, I couldn't be more proud of the way he's approached life with such openness and an open heart. No, it's just absolutely wonderful. I want to move into talking a little bit about marriage and before I ask you my next question, I want to read a quote and see if you recognize who said this and where it's from. It goes something like this. You have learned from your own experiences and from each other. Suffering is unavoidable, real, and to be believed. And know to offer each other succor and consolation when tears fall and times are hard. Encourage each other to dream big and small and to persevere to reach them. Well, I do believe that those words were written by this amazing poet and author called Victor N. And they were very much part of our, our wedding vows. They were the, the, the part of the speech that the celebrant read before our vows. Obviously, I'm an academic. Anything I wrote would have been full of statistics and, that's, and very academic. <laughs> So when one of you is, a, you know, a creative writer, not an academic writer, of course, he was going to be the person that wrote something that was not just personal to us, but also personal to our life situation and talked about, you know, disability and, you know, the realities of pain and suffering. He wrote his first draft and I said, yep, yeah, that's it. And he said, what do you mean that's it? And I said, that's it. It's done. That's, that's, that's what we're having. So the question I have for you out of that, and, and Victor, you can answer first, is how do you think experiences of living with the disability helped prepare you for the reality of marriage? Because marriage is hard uh, and that needs to be acknowledged. So is there any way that you think having a disability has actually helped you be ready for marriage? Now, there's a there's a question. A couple of things uh, about this. One of the things that we must say is that we've been married before. And Michelle has been widowed twice. I've been divorced three times. So obviously that figures into it as well. It's not all that romantic to think about previous suboptimal results, let's call them, give you experience, but they do. And so there's part of that. And honestly, as far as my disabilities go, the one that we haven't touched on is is chronic depression. And I've been treated in one way or another since about 1985, when I started to realize that I couldn't leave my diagnosis untreated. 
I had been first diagnosed when I was like 10 years earlier, but when the kids came, it was time to do something. Since that time, there has been any number of occasions where psychiatrists have helped me get a better understanding of uh, life issues. So in as far as what my disability has done, it has been being able to go get help, being able to talk to a psychiatrist, and being able to learn that there are other ways of doing things. One of the small little mantras we have around the house is no blame, no judgment. In other words, we don't have the kind of time to waste on being angry with each other. Yes, we can be upset. Yes, people have to be responsible for their mistakes. But if you take a lot of time being angry and not dealing with it, you're wasting a lot of time where you could be loving each other instead. That's sort of been the prime learning from my disability that I've been able to bring into the marriage. Now, every, with every guest I have, I like to ask them two questions at the end, mainly being in what ways do they find having a disability isolating? And then in what ways have they been able to connect with others or what has a meaningful connection meant for them? So I'm curious for the two of you as a married couple, obviously you're sharing your lives together, but you both have disabilities. Is there anything that you've found isolating or difficult about being a married couple where both partners have disabilities? There are a couple of things. Just practically, some things are more difficult. That is, getting out is just harder. Plus, you're very careful about going to places where people are vaccinated. Michelle is immunocompromised. And just generally, we're very careful about the places we feel free that we can go. The uh, internet and FaceTime and Zoom and all of those things, like how we were able to speak with each other when we first met on the internet, had a huge impact on on uh, being able to communicate in some ways uh, quite freely because there was no other way we had that we could talk but through FaceTime or the telephone or by writing each other email. In these moments, what are ways that the two of you are finding as a couple to connect with each other in your disabilities or with others? And what has meaningful connection with other couples looked like for you? I'm a disability advocate and I'm involved in a number of organizations as a volunteer. I'm also a PhD student. So, you know, writing about disability, being involved in disability issues has been, it's a big part of of what I do and my lexicon, I guess. And so I think one of the ways that, as Victor said, one of the things that he's brought into the relationship is no blame, no judgment. I think one of the things that I've brought into it is this sense of, of disability and expectations. And so when it comes to Victor um, needing accommodations for certain things, when he interacts with non-disabled writers and writing organizations, one of the first things I was able to help him do was navigate some accommodations that he needed to do to be able to deliver his work. I think that as a couple, there's yes. that complementary thing going on where we each bring into it the things that we've learned separately about how to function in this world with our disabilities. And so learning from each other as to, you know, the ways we can operate and the ways that that we can do things. And it's so hard to talk about relationships with others at the moment 
in the pandemic, as Vic says, you know, I mean, immune compromise. We're both very sensitive to the fact that with the various chronic illnesses that we have, that the Ill- illness, other illness, and particularly Obviously, COVID is something that would have a major impact on us. It sounds a bit bizarre to say we're not desperate to leave the house and be with others. My relationship prior to the pandemic were mostly virtual because of, of you know, my fatigue and being immune compromised. And, and that's just continued and continued to be part of our life. And so, you know, we have aspirations of what we'd like to do and don't happen. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But when, there's no great stress to be out there in the world. I hope the two of you have a great first Christmas together. And I expect to see a screenplay about your proposed um, <laughs> movie based on your life shortly. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Nizreen Abdelmajid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks today to our guests, Michelle Hewitt and Victor Enns. And personal thank you to my friend, Laura Weeby, who has watched way too many holiday movies with me. And by the time this airs, we may have caught another one. Thank you so much for being part of our lives this year. We really appreciate it. If you have some time over the holidays, it would be great if you could just give us a rating or review on any of your podcast of listening apps of choice just to spread the word. We'd really like to hear how the show is impacting you. And wherever you are or whoever you are with this time of year, I really do hope that you can experience some tidings of comfort and joy as we wrap up 2021. Thanks so much for listening. We'll connect in the new year. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.